0: figure lending LLC DBA figure equal opportunity lender NMLS 1717824 terms and conditions apply visit figure.com for more information for licensing information go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org I, I, I seem fun the diary of jen kirkman podcast coming at you from los angeles my home in los angeles Oh, this is being recorded a few weeks in advance. Here's the deal. Oh, I have to open this. I came, uh, I came back to LA for a few days surrounding the July Fourth holiday. Not because of that, but I got a life out here. But I didn't want to bring my microphone back to New York with me. Then take it to Montreal. I was just like, let's just get everything recorded. Blah blah blah. So. Here I am coming at you from home A couple weeks in advance again If Jared Kushner It's revealed that he is a lizard person And you're like why isn't she talking about it It's because I don't know yet I mean I know he is But you guys don't know yet Oh you guys I have a problem I'm addicted to a stupid game I used to play this game all the time I just laid in bed for two hours I was supposed to be napping My neck is fucked from it because I was sitting up in this weird way. I'm obsessed with a game that is so me. Like, people who know this game will be like, oh yeah, totally. We only like things like that. And then people will just, some people are listening right now. They're already writing me an email. If you like video games, play the. They're not even listening. I play Diner Dash. So the people who understand what that is, you feel me. It's not fun. It's for mental people who have ADD, whose mind likes to do. Now I stopped playing Diner Dash because I was bored with it. I got into Hotel. I think it's called Hotel Dash. God, I love it. You take your little cart. I love, I'm obsessed with the fruit basket. It's sort of an extra and it, it makes me lose every time, but. Sometimes when I do win a level, it's like you put the fruit basket out, then you deliver the suitcases, then you give them ice, then you give them room service, then a dog gets fed, then blankets and sheets. I love it so much. Look at, just look it up and you'll, you'll just understand who I am. It's, there's nothing fun about it. You're rushing around. You're the only one that works at the hotel. You have one cart. You're running up and down. People are pissed after like four seconds of you not delivering their stuff. And I love it. It's stressful. (laughs) I love to stress out for fun. Maybe it's because my life, although I work all the time and like, I don't honestly get stressed out about traveling. I've breezed through and get my T. Oh, I'm doing, I applied for TSA global PreCheck, and I got approved to go have an interview at one of the locations. Now there's a location for TSA uh, global PreCheck uh, in like downtown New York. It's like a courthouse that is, I just poured water, like It was just as if my hand was like, yeah, I know what your brain's telling me, Jen, but I want to do something wild. And my, I just poured water all over my counter. I was trying to pour it from a pitcher into a glass, but my arm decided we weren't doing that. Oh, my limbs act independently of me. So anyway, but of course the ones at the courthouse, they're only during the hours that I work and blah, blah, blah. So I have to go to JFK on August 13th so I'm going a little earlier than my flight I still feel like even leaving 90 minutes earlier like leaving myself 90 minutes to do it all is not enough I I it could take 10 each appointment is allotted 15 minutes and I feel like these things don't fuck around like they're not going to be like sorry um everyone's been late it's a 2 hour wait I could see that happening Sorry, I'm opening paper. Sorry, I'm opening paper towels. Or I could see it the opposite, where I'm one second late, and they're like, "No!" So I don't know. But global pre-check is just a whole other level. I mean, I won't have it for going to Montreal. Um, by the time you hear this, I should be in Montreal in Canada. I hate your customs people, but you know they're dicks. They're like the rudest anywhere in the land, in the land, in the world. Um, when I went to Sweden, I was like, am I at a coffee shop or is this the customs thing? Or I say customs, but is this the whatever the, it's called that lets you into the country? They're just like, hey, the, I love Sweden. Uh, hey, and you go, hi, I'm coming into the country, I think. And you're like, "Mm-hmm." I'm like, do you want to see my passport? And they're like, okay. And you give it to them. They're like, mm-hmm. I, I don't even, I swear to God to this day, I don't think I entered Sweden legally. I think I went through the wrong door and I was just acting accidentally standing in front of a coffee shop and they were like, Oh, just pretend we're the people that let you in the country. Cause this girl's a trip anyway. So, but so when you get the global security thing, you know, when you get off a flight international, you don't, <laughs> um, you wait in that line. And this is where I get like super right wing. Like when I'm coming back to America and I'm in the Americans line, um, I'm like, I'm an American. Let me in before the tourists. Well, they're like, no asshole, because they're going to spend more money than you this week because you live here. Oh, okay. That's not why anyone's doing anything. Um, I joke about the, oh, you have an international, but uh, that actually did happen to me once. I had, I shouldn't say it because you guys will take, ev- like, I don't think people know how much comedians shit on each other. Like, you know, we, we bust balls to each other's faces, but also we talk shit behind each other's back. Some of us, if like, you know, you're like best friends with someone. Like I don't talk shit about Sarah Colonna and Chris Frangelo, but there's other people that it's like, you see them and you're like, Hey, what's up, dude. But, but behind their back, you're like, Oh my God, one time this person did the most fucking annoying thing. I mean, what a dick. And it's not even like, oh, one time they did a thing. You're like, oh, no, that person's legitimately a dick and also nice and fun. Um, but if I were to tell the story, you'd be like, you only need to because he's famous, which is not true. And it's just one of those things where it's like, I feel like he's my older brother. But if I tell you the story, you won't fucking handle it. Now, not all of you, but the ones... The ones that I'm talking to don't even know I'm talking to them. That's so annoying. And they'll at him and be like, oh my God. Now this guy that I'm about to tell a story about does not remember this. This was 16 years ago in New York city. I only remember it because I was embarrassed and annoyed he doesn't remember anything. So he'll just be like, why is she talking about this? It will be completely out of context. I just made a joke about an attitude of, oh my God, I can't believe you haven't left the country. And then I remembered, oh, someone actually said that to me seriously. And then I'm going to tell a funny story that's water under the bridge, water under the bridge. Wasn't ever mad. I was just like, okay, dude. Um, I guess it doesn't matter who the comic is, but you'll be like, Oh my God, blind item, Jezebel. But David Cross has always been like, literally the man is not thinking of me ever, but we all rolled in the same scene, you know, downtown New York comedy, whatever. So like after shows, I'd always hang out with like my friend, Eugene Merman and Eugene would be like, David and I were going to the pinball bar. I'm like, all right, I'll come. Um, And I never really had much to say to David because he was just, always teasing me, like literally like an older brother. Like I remember we went to Vancouver for this comedy festival. God, it was like 2003. And I think I was wearing like knee socks or something with a skirt, but it was just like, I don't know. I didn't want my whole legs showing and I didn't want tights either. And I really didn't have a style then I was like 31 or something. And he was like, oh, is this like your, and he said something that I was like, I don't even know what that is. Like your DJ, this, that thing, thing. Like he's, the thing he was accusing me of, he actually is like, he's cool and knows music and like the next latest thing. And I was like, I'm just still listening to Led Zeppelin in my fucking Discman. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but sure. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. It was always that. Like, I don't think he ever once was like, I watched your set. You're funny. Like, we just, just like. I was just around, you know, so anyway, one year, I think it was after nine 11. Oh, come on. You know, I'm going to mention nine 11. Was it, was it the, no, it wasn't because I didn't, I left New York in January, 2002. So it was, um, it was the last 4th of July before nine 11. Oh my God. And I don't know where I went. Like literally, I don't remember much about my life in New York. It's a shame because it was fun. But that's like you know, you start. Someone said to me the other day, like I think I said this on one of the episodes, like how come you don't remember your third grade teacher's name? I'm like, because it was 30 years ago, you freak. You know, if you're 25, that was only whatever years ago, less than 20. So anyway, um, so David and I and others, Eugene, I forget who else. We're at some party in Brooklyn somewhere. I don't know what part of Brooklyn, don't know whose party it is. And we're all taking turns reading from a book. I think it was Anne Heche's biography or memoir had just come out and we were all like jokingly reading it out loud. I know what, what a bunch of wild beasts we all are. Um, I mean, obviously everyone's like drinking and you know, that's why it was entertaining. Um, I think actually that would be pretty entertaining anyway. I hate people who are like When I tweet something kind of silly, they're like someone's drunk I'm like if I have to be drunk to be creative, then I should just shoot myself Um, except for drunk history The only way I can behave that way in drunk history is to be drunk, but that's the point of it So anyway we're getting on the subway Me and him are the only ones going in the direction we're going in. We're on the subway together. Now, I don't have much to say to him. Now, here's the thing. Here's my dirty little secret. I never watched Mr. Show. Oh my God. I just, it was just the exact. Now, everyone else in my generation would be like, no, that was exactly your generation. But I just didn't have cable. I didn't, I just like didn't know from things. And then I was like hanging out in the Largo scene in LA and I was like, oh, I guess all these people are from that thing. I could kind of like a dick. Like I just didn't, I mean, I've seen since then, I've seen many, many episodes and I think it's great, but I just wasn't sure at the time, but I knew everyone was, you know, like, oh my God, he's this big deal. But I was just like, oh, I kind of like the way he does stand up like that. That matches like what my, uh, aesthetic is, you know, but anyway, so run the subway. And I think we're the only ones in the car. And he's standing up and he's like, this reminds me of the tube in London because of the light or, you know, and I go, oh, I don't know. He goes, you've never ridden the tube. I go, I've never been to London. He goes, what? I'm like, I've never been out of the country. He's like, what? I'm like, I have a really bad fear of flying. He's like, you've never been to Europe. I go, no. And he's like, oh my God. Well, I think I was 20. 20- no, I must've been, no, I was 27. Cause I left New York when I was 27. I was like, sorry, dude, like calm down. Like at least I'm in New York city. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm in the also just like, yeah, I never went to Europe. I would, you know, it's like I was never broke enough to go to Europe by that point, And I was never rich enough. Like, you know, when you're super broke is because you're in college and you can go to Europe. I didn't go then. I was too scared to go when I was broke enough to go. And then when I could afford to go, uh, I probably couldn't even afford it. And I still didn't go. But anyway, I was like, oh my God, you're so annoying. I didn't say that. But now I would be like, you're fucking annoying. But I didn't. And who knows if he even really meant it. But anyway. um, What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I told you guys about the time I had a free trip to Positano, Italy. <laughs> and I didn't go. I know. God, it's one of those things where like... I was dating my ex, John, and who's lovely and he's married now with a kid and, um, brilliant TV writer, really funny. He doesn't go by his real name though. Um, and (laughs) we're together and he's like, Hey, my best guy friend from college is marrying like some fucking really rich, like semi royalty British girl. And her parents are throwing the wedding in Italy. And I'm a, one of the groomsmen. So I get my own like villa. It's in Positano. And you get your own chef. So you have like your own like mini house that you live in with a chef. And they're, it's like on a vineyard. I was like, yeah, I can't go. And he was like, what? I'm afraid to fly. He's like, I'll be with you. They're flying us first class. I'm like, can't do it. And I even had meds. I had Xanax or lorazepam or whatever the fuck I had at this point well, the Xanax doesn't work for me, but that's probably why I was still afraid to fly. I was like, I can't go. And back then it was like the panic attacks were so bad. It was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure the plane won't crash, but the fear is so intense that I just don't have time to feel that way for six hours. And he was like, I can't believe you're not going. And he took it personally. Like you can't even do this for me. And I was like, I guess not. And then and I, now I totally get it. But then I was like, who cares? But he was like, God, I kind of want a relationship with someone I can do this kind of thing with. I'm like, relax. And now that I think about it, what a lovely thing to have a boyfriend in your 20s who's like not making fun of you but concerned about the future. And I used to smoke back then. He's like, you really shouldn't smoke. I'm like, whatever. And he's like, I just want like, a relationship with someone that's like not going to get winded when we're old. And I'm like, what? I just like, didn't understand what was happening. I was just like, why is he talking about I, I didn't I literally didn't comprehend. Like, yeah, I wanted to be with him. Like everyone I dated when I was in my twenties, I'm like, we're getting married. I don't know why I was like that, but um but I was just like so like in a general way, I was like, Yeah, of course I'll marry this guy someday, probably. But he was looking at it in a like a real way, a like real like, okay, so what would be the logistics of that? I'm gonna be with a smoker? I don't wanna be with a smoker. And I was like, What? everyone loves a smoker. Um, I was so inconsiderate. And just like, well, I don't think I want to be with someone that can't fly to Europe. Why? (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I didn't go on that trip. And then he, um, I don't know how he got in touch with me. I guess there was email. Yeah, there was email. He emailed me from the trip and he's like, I'm actually gonna to go to morocco for a couple days with like i don't know some of the friends i was like sounds fun and then he came back and he's like oh my god there was this dance club where like the dj plays music for 10 minutes and then he stops because he has to get paid to do it and so the Sa- the rich saudi arabian guys would come over and pay the dj and then he'd play for another 10 minutes and it got to the point where he said everyone just stood around drinking going where are the fucking saudis <laughs> and Another thing is, is at the time he was like super political. And it's interesting because I had been really political in high school. Like I was annoying. I was so affected by the Iraq wars. I was like, I was like the people now who are just getting into politics under Bernie. Like, it's so funny to me that they were, they've said to me, I've never been inspired before. I'm like, that's pathetic because I don't need a person to inspire me. I couldn't believe there was a war going on in my lifetime. I was like, I thought wars were done. I mean, we had, had, you know, peace and prosperity for a while. I mean, maybe not peace or prosperity, but you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like Vietnam was the day before. And the next day we got into another war. So I was very affected by the Iraq war. And I was really disturbed that it was on TV. Like, again, I was still from a generation where you didn't show war on TV. Like it was a video game and they would just show bombing. And I was like, what is going on? I just was disturbed, and so like the way they showed it on TV, I understand that there's been footage of wars, obviously. And I used to wear two watches in high school—one set to Iraq time and one set to Massachusetts time—so I'd always know. I don't know what that did. Like, I might look at my watch and go, "It's 3 a.m. in Iraq somewhere. A child is scared." But I could just think that anyway, without knowing exactly what time it was. I don't know. It was very. It was more like ask me why I have two watches on Iraq. What are you doing? Um, you know, and I was like protesting and giving my money to Greenpeace. And I was just like, miss this, miss this and that. And then I got to college and it was like feminism, cray, cray, like just, I can't even believe that. I mean, it was just like women's, like, it wasn't even women's studies at my school. Cause Emerson didn't have intense intensives like that when I went. I I was just reading it on my own. And We're riot girling and we're planned parenthooding, women's reproductive rights, women's health care, blah, blah, going crazy. You know, I love the boys who love Bernie. Well, I guess I'd never been inspired. Oh, I was because I was a woman and I had to be because everyone's always trying to take my rights away. Yeah, they've always been trying to take Planned Parenthood away and I've never gotten pregnant or needed an abortion. But, you know, there's other things about being a woman. It's not just about giving birth or not giving birth. We have yeast infections and vaginal cancers and ovarian cysts and endometriosis and when you don't have health insurance, you go to Planned Parenthood to get that stuff taken care of or you die. So yeah, you could say it was inspired way before you were my little little friend. But a bird flew on his podium. Okay, I'm so sorry, you guys. Are you like, is she ever going to stop talking about 9-11 and Bernie Sanders? I'm going to go out on a limb just so that I don't disappoint any no, I don't think I will ever stop talking about it. So then by the time I started doing comedy in Boston, oh, is she political? I'm changing the world with my commentary. Then I moved to New York and I'm like, dear God, it's difficult here. I, I can, I gotta get a temp job and I'm living in a fucking third floor walk up. Uh, well, th- three floors, you guys. Um, With no air conditioning I guess that's what I meant It was on the top floor You know, so I'm like sweating To the oldies Without wanting to Uh, And I was just like I ain't got time To be political I am just miserable I am just a busy comedian Temp person And you know what? I don't want to know About the bad things going on in the world I am checked out I am age 23 and I just checked out, you know what i 'm doing i 'm going down to Canal Street and just blowing my money on fake purses. You know what i 'm doing i 'm going to a bar. You know what i 'm doing i 'm going to a coffee shop. You know what i 'm doing i don 't know what i 'm doing i 'm just living it up. so i'd really kind of lost my political edge, and it started coming back a little bit in like summer of two thousand and one um like the socio political thing. That's when my friend Becky and I started girlcomic.net, which was a website called Feminist Funny. I mean, were we ahead of the curve or what? And um, we had f- comedians who happen to be female write essays and funny essays and stuff like that. So anyway, um, but John came back from Morocco and was like, everyone was talking about Osama bin Laden. I'm like, Osama who what? And like, what? And he was like, you don't know Osama bin Laden. I'm like, no, why should I? And he's like the Taliban. I'm like, well, I know what the Taliban is. And I had heard of it because Becky and I, who ran Girl Comic, we were thinking about like donating. We'd heard that there's, you know, we're always kind of obsessed with like oppressed women. And so I knew that, but he was like, Things are like, that guy is crazy. And he's, and I'm like, "Ah, whatever, dude. And so John got back on like September 9th. Um, and then two days later, 9-11. And he's like, I told you, Osama bin Laden. Not that he was in Morocco and people were like, pass it on. There's going to be 9-11. But it was like, when everyone was like, who could have done this? I guess it kind of revealed who doesn't pay attention to things. Like, you know, like his name was out there. The dude was, uh, he had some buzz. So anyway, um, but ironically, uh, I am the one who ended that relationship. Uh, not him, but I can't believe I didn't go to Italy. What a dumb bitch I was. And, uh, I luckily got to go back last year, a year ago. Now I was in Italy. I mean, I went to Venice. I still haven't been to Positano. I'll go, I'll go. But, um, where did all this come from? I haven't, I just started wandering around talking. But, um, I guess that's what you love about this podcast. Sorry. I did my laundry yesterday. I don't have any dryer sounds for you. Um, on those white noise apps, do do they have dryer sounds? I think they do. I mean, I personally don't want to fall asleep to the sound of a dryer, but. Sorry, I'm chugging water. Yeah. So I usually have things planned. Let me, uh, my legs are strained. I think I did make a little note on my compute um, podcast. No, I feel like we might have just gone to war with North Korea. I just got a little update on my. Hold please. While I check, um, what does it say here? <sighs> la, na, la 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 la, la 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 la, la la la. No one's talking about it. Okay, maybe it just says something different. Um. So I was on the subway, you know, when I was in New York and uh, it was so weird. Like I, I, I got on and I had, what did I, have? I had a bag with me, like I had my purse and then I had Oh, I know what it was. It had, it was raining and I had worn, I had, uh, my wet, like rain boots in a bag because it wasn't raining anymore or they weren't wet, but I had them in a kind of a plastic bag. I'm on the subway and you know, nothing I'm carrying is heavy and I don't look burdened and I'm standing there by the pole and there's like a middle seat available, but I'd have to like squish in between two women. And I only had two stops to go and I'm on the subway and I'm not even right in front of the middle seat. I'm like, I'm a few yards away. And this woman is like, ma'am, 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 nor it. And I'm trying to ignore it. Just thinking like, okay, I think she's talking to me. I just got the six, sixth ant sick. Sense, and then the doors shut. Boom, boom, and the train starts going. Next stop, and everyone's looking at me because they're thinking, you know, she's talking to you. So we'd all like her to stop screaming, ma'am. But it looks like she probably won't until you acknowledge her. And so I turned around, and she was like, "You gonna sit here?" And she was clearly homeless, not smelly, smelly. Fish heads coming out of her pockets, hobo on the rails, homeless, but I don't know what and possibly high on whatever the kids do these days. And I I mean, I think she was on the downers, on the opioids. And so now I'm, I'm wrestling with, I'll always take a seat. I mean, I love to sit. I'm really good at it, but I have a feeling now I don't even mind sitting next to someone homeless. What a, what a saint, but it was that I just felt like she had an appointment with me. (laughs) She had some business with me and I didn't want to deal with it. And then I had that guilt of, I cannot in front of all these people deny a seat. From someone who seems high and possibly in a transitional living situation. Not because, oh, they recognize Jen Kirkman, the comedian, but just me, a person. And then I thought, I don't see anyone else sitting there. And then I thought, everyone's staring at me. She's still yelling, ma'am. And she said, take a load off. Take a load off, Manny. Is it Manny? And put your mind on me. What is that song? Take a load off Danny? No, it's not take a load. Hang on. What song is that? Take a load. You're all screaming at the computer and half of you are like, what the fuck music is this? Take a load off Fanny? Fanny? Take a load off Aunt- Wait, what? Take a load off Fanny? No idea. It's by the band called The Band. I always thought it was Manny. It doesn't sound like an F. Can- Hang on. Wait, the lyrics, too. Is this some kind of I think this is some kind of like not religious song like oh my god this is one of those bands of guys that double get her into nazareth just can enter and half past it i just need some place where i can lay my head hey mister can you tell me where a man might find a bed he just grinned and shook my hand. No was all he said. Take a load off Oh, it's a blatant F. Take a load off Fanny. And you, and you put the load right on me. Okay. Take a load off Fanny. My mind is blown. I have to tweet that right now. Okay Anyway So I sit down She goes I noticed your Like her eyes were shut She's like I noticed your Struggling with the heavy packages Not not a thing that was happening She goes I don't see color People are people You know We're all people <laughs> Meanwhile she's black I'm white But she's telling me She doesn't see color I'm like I know you don't Because I'm clear I don't and People are people you're no one better than the other. You know, you sit down, I sit down, or we're on the subway, we're all the same. Now, what she's saying is true. That's why I love the subway. You can't cop an attitude on the subway the way you can in your little car zipping around town in L.A., But it was also like, this is the most basic conversation and it's annoying and she's high. She has no idea what's happening and I could get up and walk away and she wouldn't even know, but I couldn't stop and I didn't want to be rude. So I'm just nodding going, yep, absolutely. <laughs> it's like in general, wouldn't you love if you had converse, if the world was just, no one's yelling at each other and calling each other, calling each other corporatists you say, go ahead with someone and they go, Hey, we're all the same inside. I mean, you know, I mean, it would be great. What a beautiful world. But I was also like, Oh, when is my stop? And then I felt guilty when it was my stop, which was only two stops. So I felt like I was lying about that. It was my stop. She goes, Oh, you gotta go. Okay. But I can always sit here. I didn't mean to bother you. I'm like, that's not why I'm getting off the train. Although I probably totally would have pretended. If I had like 10 more stops to go, oh, uh, -uh, you bet I would have pretended. This is my stop. (sighs) That is people pleasing at its highest and I don't need to do it. And I won't do it anymore. I don't need to do it anymore. I don't need to please the people. That's such a good song. I'm selling that to Michael McDonald. You don't know me, but I'm your brother. Taking it to the streets, taking it to the... Jen, stop. I can't. The music's in me and I cannot be stopped. All right, let's read some things. Hey, this is from Randy. I got a handwritten note on cute little note paper, I think it was sent. I don't know. It wasn't sent to my home address, but sent somewhere. And she said, I wanted to drop you a note. Thank you for being a strong woman. I listened to your podcast while I was going through an intense bout of depression. And because you had been so open with your own strong goals, it gave me the hope I needed that I would get better. And I did. I'm doing really well these days, and I continue to be inspired. Blah, blah, blah. You're so confident and I love it. Well, I don't know if I'm confident. I might just be a little insane. And also, uh, I suppose I'm confident. I just, I got to tell you guys, I don't mean to sound like a hippie dips, but I'm really into like the Zen kind of Buddhist kind of shit. Like literally nothing matters, but not in a way that we shouldn't go about our lives. There's nothing to be not confident about because it's sort of like the world's happening without, without you, no matter what. So what would, what would you not be confident about? I mean, I'm not confident. I can fly a plane. I'm not delusional, but confidence in my, in who I am. It's like, I'm me flawed, ever changing. You know, um, you just, you're the, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it because like, it's not even confidence. It's just trust in everything. I trust. I I don't know how to explain it, but Sure. My husband and I go to all the shows we can when you're in the Midwest, and we also buy tickets in advance. Thank you. Um, always glad to hear when someone's depression is in the manageable phase. Don't forget, everybody, it comes and goes, so don't get down on yourself if it comes again. He come again. That's just how it do. Um, I think I read... Oh, yeah, I printed these, but I already read them. Oh, my God. Why don't I get rid of things? Um, let's do, oh God, but anyway, yeah, depression, that's what I have to say today. Um, a lot of people still don't really understand what depression is. They think it's sadness and it's not, it's a lot of different things. I have a friend, um, he recently went on medication and he's like, I was just so angry all the time. And I didn't realize that was depression. I was like, oh, hells yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't mean like mopey, belopey all the time. Uh, these are technical terms, by the way. But anyway, I'm a big fan of therapy. And that's why I love our ever, ever loving sponsor, talk space. Talky space, talk space, talking to you, space space, talky, talky space, space talk. To you. Now that's not their theme song, but I'm just giving talk space free ideas here. They should have a theme song. Talkie, talkie, space, space, talkie, talkie, space, space. I need some help. I talkie, talkie, space, space. I'm just giving that to them for free. Like, do you know, people go to giant ad agencies for things like this. And here I am just like, take it, talk space. I'm so generous. Talk it, talk space, space, talk it, talk space, space. So here's the deal. It's important to take care of your mental health. I don't even think we should separate it anymore. Mental health, physical health, isn't all the same. Today, I was obsessed with this. I was blur. You know when you can blur your eyes and everything goes into soft focus? I was doing that. And I was like, how am I doing that? My brain is telling my eyes to do it, but how does that work? And it's like, so that's mental and physical, and it's all the same. So I feel like hopefully someday we'll get to the point in this country, America, where we just say, take care of your health. And it's just like, of course, we mean brain and body, and it's all... Ugh. Don't get me on my soapbox. But it is important to take care of your mental health, but it can be hard to make it to a therapist's office. Maybe you don't have a car. Maybe you don't have health insurance. Maybe there's not a good therapist in your area. Maybe you don't like looking at people. Maybe you're shy. Maybe you want to start slow. Maybe you want to ease into it. Maybe you even want to break up with it. Maybe you're in therapy and you want to break up with your therapist and you're like, I need to go to therapy about breaking up with my therapy. I'm going to do this Talkspace thing on the side. Anyway, that's why I love that Talkspace, the online therapy company that connects you with a licensed therapist for just $32 a week. I don't have to tell you that that is a very low price. Sorry. I got distracted. I have ADHD. But you can talk about anything. It's confidential. No one's judging you. You can talk about your family. You can talk about politics, the annoying person in the office. You can talk about yourself. You can say, I don't even know what I want to talk about, but I don't feel right. Ask me some questions. Help me out here. Talkspace can help. You can use the Talkspace smartphone app or website, and you can text and audio message your therapist as much as you want. Again, I don't have to tell you that that is not anything short of fucking awesome. And for a reasonable additional fee, you can have a video call as well if you feel better about looking at the person and having them see you. So take care of yourself. You're the only you you've got. Go to Talkspace.com slash Jen, J-E-N, one N people, or use coupon code Jen, and you will get $30 off of your first month. And of course, you'll show your support for I Fun. So Talkspace.com slash Jen, do it. All right. Take a load off Fanny and put the load on me. A lot of people are asking me if I'm signing books on this tour. Unfortunately, I am not because I did that already. Um, I will in some places try to tell the, uh, security or stage manager, I have to work it out. If you get there early enough, they can bring the books to me backstage with a note like with your name on it and I can sign it or I might do something fun on stage or I'm like, does anyone have a book and I'll sign it? Um, but I have some news. Well, I should tell you guys this. So here's the deal. And I feel like people are going to make fun of me or be angry. Now I've been touring since 2008 on my own. And as part of the comedians of Chelsea lately, part of the touring has always been meeting fans after, um, it's been almost, uh, doing that. Um, when I had my scare last last year and because I have it again, because I, I haven't been touring. That's why my voice, but, um, I mean, I hope it doesn't get as bad as it did, but I cannot speak at all when I'm on the road, except for the shows. And there's always something going on in my life where I can't fully commit to that. Like I have to take a conference call or I have to do press or whatever. So, where I noticed my voice was really getting killed was after you do a one-hour show, I should immediately go steam my cords, do a cool down. And I was immediately going to do a meet and greet and people are drunk and they're yelling. And then I have to yell to be heard. And the venues, I didn't, you know, I'm not uh, Bono. I can't be like, do what I say. So the venues, would play the music loud to keep people drinking, to keep making money. And so I'd be screaming for an hour after already overusing my voice. I can't do it anymore. And I know that you guys know that, that one tour, it was the one. So last year I did a book tour. So the tour before that, I did not do meet and greets after because of my voice. Um, So I'm not doing them anymore at all, period. Period. Now, here's the deal, though. There is going to be a catch. So I'm not doing them at all anymore, period. Because of my voice, also because I've had some scary experiences, unfortunately, with dudes grabbing drunk, people handing me their number, or just people being inappropriate. And it's just not fun anymore. 90% of the people are great. But at these uh, shows that I do when it's my own show at my own theater, it's really hard. I don't travel with a tour manager, I don't travel with my own security, I don't travel with merch people because I can't afford it. Like, I don't, I'm not at that level yet. So, I'm going to do something that my manager encouraged me to do, and it makes sense for me. It's sort of the next level for me, um, but it's going to look really obnoxious. And I'm really afraid of backlash. But at the same time, if people are going to be offended, then I don't know what kind of contract you thought we had together. You know, I always look at it and I'm a, you know, fan of things. I I pay money and I get a good show and then I'm happy. Like if people don't want to come out and meet me after, I'm not mad. Um, So there's a company that I'm going to be using called OMG VIP. Look, I didn't name the company. And so basically what happened, so I have all these cool merch ideas. I didn't want to just make t-shirts. I wanted to do like bumper stickers and like a little makeup bag or a, like I'm having a guy design like an original tour poster. Um, that's just for sale. You know, it'll be signed, hand signed by me. Um, but I can't sit there at the table selling merch, dealing, like talking to people. It's too much. And then venues always have like a, closing. It's just a, a lot. And I like to just leave after the show. So OMG VIP, what they do is I pay them and they do it all for me. So it's like more money out of my own pocket, but they bring the merchandise and set it up and sell it at every show. So you will be able to get my merchandise. I just won't be there at the table. If that is a disappointment, I really apologize, but I, what, here's the deal. Merch or no merch, I'm not doing meet and greets after shows anymore, period. I need my voice so I can do what I do for a living. And I get it as my theater venues get bigger. It's a lot if hundreds of people are coming up to me and I don't have any help or security. It's ironic that at a certain point you can have that many people coming, but it's still a lot of money to like, like have travel with a team. Like I would literally just break even. So I guess the way to look at it is that I'm not doing meet and greets, period, at all. So that's that. Um, So you're not going to get to meet and greet me anyway. If you want merchandise, you can buy it at the show. So it's sort of like, I don't, I hope no one's like, fuck you for not coming out. It's like, I wasn't gonna, but so there is a deal. So there is another thing. called like the OMG VIP thing where you pay $50. I'm not pitching it to you. I'm just explaining to you. You pay $50 in addition. It's not including the ticket to do a private meet and greet with me. So I'm going to be doing those for like 20 minutes before the show because I can handle that with my voice and I can control the environment. I can say no music. So you get like a professionally taken photo with me. You get like a backstage pass lanyard You get a tour poster signed by me. You get um, a separate piece of merchandise that is not for sale at the merch table. I don't know if I can say what it is yet, but I'm designing it and it'll be cool. I'm trying to see if we can throw a free book in there. I'm trying to see if participating venues would be willing to throw a free drink in there. I feel very uncomfortable saying it's $50 to come meet me before the show, but it's a really small hang. Like, Um, I think only like 25 to 50 people are allowed per show. I was like, dudes, we're going to get two people. People don't have that kind of money, but I'm trying to throw as much in for the $50 price as I can. So far right now you get a picture, a poster, um, and a piece of merch that I can't say what it is yet. Um, I think it's going to be a tote bag that says, with a little stick figure in it that says, I'm just a soul trapped in a body. I think that'd be cute. Um, And then I honestly am trying to throw a book in there. And again, I would love to do like a free drink thing, but I don't know. I don't know the deal at all the venues and what they're willing to do and stuff. So, because it's not a venue thing, it's this company. So the company takes a percentage and then I make money on the merch and stuff. So, but I also put money out. So it's, it's just an experiment. We're going to see how it goes, but what's great about it for me is I have like these people there that are running it. And I don't like, I've had scary things happen. Like I've had people come up to me and want to talk to me about like medication. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know what kind of depression medication you should take. And I've had people wait after shows and guys wait. And I've been like, "I, I know you waited, but I already signed your book and I have to go. And they're like, God, like, rude. And I've just been scared sometimes that I don't have a team around me. So this will be good for me. And if you don't want to pay $50, I totally get it, but I wasn't coming out to meet you anyway. So you're not missing out if that makes sense. Um, I hate to be an ass and there's a lot about this that I'm like, eh. but at the same time, it's like, it's just an extra charge for like an extra thing. Like I need to value, um, that I've done meeting people for 10 years. I've given so much, as much as I can, and it's starting to take a toll. So I don't think I'm better than anyone or I'm some asshole, but I need help. I have to pay for it. And then there's things associated with it. And so we're all trying to do the best we can for the money that you would pay. Um, you know, like the VIP experience helps pay like the salaries of the people that travel around and do the merch. So Um, that's just how it works. And if you want to upgrade, that's awesome. If you have the money, if you don't, that's also awesome. Uh, I'm trying to be as accommodating as I can to the people that aren't going to be able to meet me. Unfortunately, a lot of people are just finding me for the first time, but that's just going to have to suck. Like I've been touring for 10 years. Some people just found out about me. They want to meet after. I think they think it's super cash. And I know a lot of guys on the road do that. Like Those are guys, like women. I get touched. Like I'm just appropriately, like I'm just done. Um, so, so that's that. And I'll probably send a letter to everybody, but just didn't want anyone to be like, okay. All right. Uh, these are more emails from women about men, technically not sexually harassing. Hi, Jen. I had to pause your pod and write immediately. I hate it when strange men spontaneously address me in public spaces. It's doubly infuriating since they don't understand that they are doing anything wrong. So I come out of the interaction as the crazy one if I express my annoyance. Yep, it's like accidental gaslighting. I'm 32 and I work in a university. I am very often accosted by students in their early 20s. Don't these kids spend any time on the internet? Who hasn't seen that catcalling video from New York City? It's very worrisome. Many women walk around laughing that the old pervs are dying out and being replaced with a more enlightened generation. But I'm here to warn you that we have to remain vigilant. Oh, dude, oh, dude, they're not—they are dying off, and the new ones are being made. There, there is no feminism amongst millennial men. Like, it is—I have an article to read. Example, I'm exiting my building and sort of have to brush past someone and I detect some gawking. He's in my way. And as I open the door, he says, wow, you're strong in a tone reserved for dogs and small children. I get out of the way of busy passersby to have it out with him. I say, I'm 32 years old. You think I can't open doors? He was visibly perturbed, but rationalized aloud that I must be the sort of person who gets irritated by everything. This is how the men treat us. I don't know what to do in these situations lately. I feel like even if I just resort to a screaming meltdown and look stupid, at least it might teach that one person not to talk to strangers, lest they be unhinged. So exasperating, Katie. I feel like we should make up little cards. Like we should find a website that has like a really succinct article about this and be like, what you're doing is a form of sexism. Here, read this if you'd like to learn. And and then write like 10 gaslighting things people say like, oh, you must get annoyed. Like you're not taking any responsibility. I think we should just hand them to people. Yes. So now we have to walk around with flyers. Um, okay. Someone wants advice about some kind of band. I can't be of help right now. Uh, All right. This is the librarian from Philly. Jen, it's Michelle, the stereotypical librarian from Philly, who is so bad at research, she didn't know you had a podcast. Remember, I read her letter a while ago. I was drifting off to sleep to your dulcet tones, as I often do, and just about shit myself when I heard you read my email. Sadly, I do not wear my hair in a bun. I am not a repressed virgin, and I say fuck too much. So, I'm probably not a good choice for your librarian movie. Michelle, you can still play the part. I'll just add some character details. I will watch the cheesiest shit if it has a Christmas theme, me too, and I am willing to apply some white paint to my black cat and tuxedo him for you, so come on over any time. Have a great summer and see you at the truck in September. I would appreciate if you would paint your cat for me, then I might consider coming by. Oh, I just got a... I just got told... Two people... Uh, 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 mm. Okay, never mind. Uh, What else can I read? What else can I read to you? This is from Aaron. Ooh, I'm can tell I don't like this email. Hi, Jen. I wonder if the handyman, if he reflects on why you or other women don't hire him anymore, says to himself, good, I don't want them as clients anyway. Those Hillary voters are so wrong about everything. Kind of like the way you've written off Trump voters as fans. No. Honey, it's an illness to be a Trump supporter. He is a racist, sexist bigot. And I write them off as people, never mind fans. And then you can come to my shows, but I don't respect anyone who voted for Trump. And I'm related to people who did. I don't want to hear your bitching that what I'm, that what he, I don't care if the handyman writes me off. He made me feel unsafe in my home. He was getting in my face about Jill Stein. Don't ever write me and compare that to me writing off Trump voters as fans. What does it mean to write off a fan who's a Trump voter? I don't I don't write off a fan who's a Trump voter unless they attack me online. And if they do, I block them and go, I don't want you as a fan because you're a Trump voter who attacked me. I don't think losing clients or money as a result of his Jill Stein cult ramblings will cause him to reconsider his political views. Honey, I didn't say that's why I was fucking doing it. I was saying he made me feel unsafe in my home. And what he might reconsider is not his political views, but he might reconsider discussing them on the job and shoving them in people's faces. That's what I was talking about, that he doesn't have any self-awareness. And yet he's the victim type who complains about how he doesn't get hired for things. And so I'm thinking, maybe you're making people fucking uncomfortable, not because of his political views, because of how he was presenting them to me and that he was bringing them up when they weren't on the table to be discussed. God, your emails obnoxious. Jill Stein Coltrane will cause him to reconsider his political views or reconsider sharing them any more than something similar would cause you to reconsider those things. Yeah. I don't shout my political views at someone in their house. And I absolutely would fucking consider it if someone didn't talk to me anymore. Cause I'm fucking self-aware. This podcast is for rambling my views. So if you're trying to make some kind of fucking comparison to that, you're false equivalencing it all. Politically passionate people are passionate, whether or not they're right. I'm not a Bernie bro or a Jill sister or a Trump niece. I'm a big fan. Don't hate me for pointing this out. Ah, your email's fucking annoying, but God bless you. You're a child of God and so am I. All right. I'm going to read an article. I feel like, oh, this is a pretty good episode. It was weird though, right? All right. This is by Sasha Borisenko. It was written actually April 7th, 2016. Uh, it was on vice.com. How to spot a brochure list, the guys with righteous politics, but a dodgy attitude to girls. Yeah. You can just log out now if you don't want to hear this, because I'm going to end the episode after this. All right. Um, brocialist. A guy so in love with his own progressiveness or radicalness, he is convinced he can do no wrong. This extends to being a sexist jerk. I befriended my first brocialist at the tender age of 18. He was staunchly left-wing, creative, charming, and articulate, all of which drove the ladies wild. I was the only female in our hall of residence debating team. Challenging, yes, but I suppose I was a wannabe hipster Helen Clark at the time, we would argue constantly. His argument was that he wasn't a brochialist. I was simply misguided. When I pointed out that he regularly patronized and undermined women, he would dismiss it as banter and argue I was hung up on something less important to real issues, such as climate change. Ah! Hang on. Hang on. I forgot to do something. I want to take a bath later and I got to run the water now so that it fills up while I'm talking. Okay. Climate change. Okay. Master brochelist eventually kicked me out of the debating team. In his defense, I told him a day earlier that I took issue with most facets of his personality <laughs> or rather it wasn't his personality that bugged me, but his total contradiction and values. So this, that was the end of my political career. In an article in The New Statesman, Penny Laurie singles out Russell Brand as a classic brochure in the way he uses his celebrity status with irony and comedy as his weapon to educate the masses about worthy causes. In Brand's web series, The Trues, he waxes lyrical about the perils of capitalism, same sex marriage, and gender politics. Wait, the perils of same sex marriage and gender? I have to look this up. I don't know what... All the while, he has a long swaggering record of... Okay, sorry, the sentence cuts off. This sits pretty awkwardly alongside his bias towards young bikini models and his alleged tendency to brag about his conquests. But Hollywood is a long way from New Zealand. We were the first country in the world to give women the vote, and we prided ourselves on female empowerment ever since. But I beg to differ. Since my first bruising rub-up against brochalism, I've developed a radar for guys hiding sexism behind... a. Beneath a progressive smokescreen, Like the time my friend told me about a great guy she had met He was in a band and worked in the left-wing political arena But he wasn't a hipster robot type He was a nice guy He even trolled misogynists on social media Despite this, it soon came to light that he had a girl in every port Then, not long after that discovery His workplace had to introduce a new anti-sexism policy Simply because of this guy's questionable behavior around the office In my experience, there are two kinds of brochilists Type 1 uses their outwardly progressive values to woo women, particularly in the public realm of social media, while secretly maintaining their non-progressive values. Type two views women as expendable objects and treats them poorly to hide their insecurities by pretending to the world and probably themselves that they're all about liberating the underdog. They get an angelic reputation while staying snuggled into dominant patriarchal structures. In both cases, it's the combination of arrogance yet empathy for everyone and everything on their terms. That's the true signifier of brocialism. Brocialists might sport Dr. Martin's vans or boat shoes, son socks. And they're partial to skinny jeans. They're drawn to quality over grunge. Thus, Scandinavian brands such as Falraven, Acne Studios, and Cheap Monday Jeans are the flavor of choice, which is suitable seeing as the Nordic countries align with their egalitarian values. It's no surprise, therefore, that they cycle and enjoy public transportation over anything that might be considered a carbon-emitting abomination. Music preferences are self-explanatory, but brochalists are drawn to broody emotional tunes and local music so as to present a down-to-earth, enthusiastic disposition. Furthermore, they have no qualms with ironic beats from the nineties as they can freely make fun of themselves. Their palate is an interesting one. While they're inclined to exercise vegetarianism, they don't indulge in veganism for fear of coming off as too hardcore or opinionated. And they're into Kiwiana motifs. So mince pies without meat or cheese rolls might be the plot du jour alongside, okay, this is obviously New Zealand, alongside a breakfast of black coffee and organic bircher with fruit 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 from their local community garden for example they refuse to conform to gender roles so they'll cook these dishes and complete the cleanup with gusto after dinner they drink whiskey and craft beer in excess brochelists smoke socially but would never reveal this to their doctor they're anti-smoking if anything well this kind of sounds like everybody instead they smoke after a good political debate once they're convinced they've enlightened their ignorant company a millennials after sex smoke if you will On a broader level, these often-educated individuals work in the public or non-for-profit sector. For the creative brochelists, you'll find them crafting beautiful Scandinavian-style furniture, designing charity-focused advertising campaigns, or launching a startup. While they're into technology over cars and sports, they're not your traditional cosplay World of Warcraft types. Rather, they geek out by way of social media. They're insufferably vocal about their beliefs, hold, More so than your typical everyday feminist. They're the first on your feed to post about International Women's Day. There's no denying they're out there, yet all the women I asked to comment on their experience with brochelists all were worried about coming across as disgruntled, crazy, or tragic. It's hard to target a guy who outwardly appears to have such noble intentions. As young women... As one young woman told me, no brochelist is going to be convinced to check their sexism or even acknowledge the fact that they or their behavior is sexist. For guys think that their politics are in order. That gives them free reign with their dicks. Oh, my acupuncturist wrote an essay about tampons. I'm going to read that and then we're going to sign off. Hang on. I think it came out today. It was on Lenny Letter. Okay. Yeah, this is great. Uh, yeah, my acupuncturist a couple of months ago was like I have tampons in the bathroom for the first time One of my clients told me I needed to have them here and i'm like, oh my god. I'm so jealous I didn't think of that So just know that i'm reading this article like god damn it wish it was me, but this is by russell brown the greatest Um, and it's on LennyLetter.com. why a 39 year old man bought his first box of tampons If you're a man who presides over a public bathroom put tampons in it I'm a 39-year-old man, and I just bought my first box of tampons. Sarah Ginsburg told me to buy them. I am an acupuncturist in Los Angeles who owns a busy practice, and she has been my patient for close to 10 years, long enough to also become a friend. About a year ago, on her way out the door, she casually dropped, you know, you should really have tampons for your patients. I sort of pretended not to hear. She persisted. No, for real. You really can't consider yourself a female-friendly healthcare provider if you don't have tampons in the bathroom. My gut reaction was one part, one more thing to buy with a hint of she's kidding, right? This of course is unbecoming of healthcare worker and totally unbecoming of a progressive healthcare worker invested in understanding and treating issues related to women's health. I am not one of those guys who are squeamish about periods. On the contrary, I can often be found talking to a total stranger about her polycystic ovary syndrome by the chocolate fountain at a wedding. I know more about most of my anatomy than the patients' anatomy than their spouses. I was raised by two pre-Ellen lesbian moms, wrote a fifth grade history report on the Seneca Falls Convention, and attended all three original Lilith fairs, even doing a meet and greet with Sarah McLaughlin. I am often the person very outraged about women's rights news that everyone else just seems normal outraged about. But to suddenly imagine myself strolling down the female care aisle price-checking diva cup seemed like a lot. But I also knew Sarah Ginsburg was right. She came back a few months later. Where are the tampons, Russell? I panicked like an idiot on two and a half men. I wouldn't even know what kind of brand to get. I don't feel qualified to be making these purchases. She suggested Tampax and then offered to bring me an empty basket to fill. I insisted that I didn't have any available shelves for a basket. A couple of months passed and Sarah Ginsburg was back. Now she was mad. Seriously, where are the fucking tampons? I was out of excuses. Why wasn't I buying the tampons? I had to consider that even though I knew better, I was still participating in the misogyny that says menstruation is a hushed hygiene secret that should be managed in the shadow of a woman's pocketbook. It's the sexism that dictates that a woman's body is her problem and there's a limit to how much men are responsible. It's what Republican Representative John Shimkus of Illinois argued during a March debate on his party's health care plan. He insisted that men shouldn't have to pay into medical insurance policies that cover prenatal care, suggesting that prenatal care should only be paid for by women because pregnancy is a condition which only happens to women. And I was really pissed off when I read about him. It was so clearly a consequential version of the I'm on a diet so no one else should have donuts bullshit that would annoy the fuck out of me if it were directed at me. And yet here I was being like, I don't have a shelf. I got it. The female body is not a hygiene secret. Menstruation is a standard body for body needs. needs. Offering tampons helps to normalize the female body and says they should be part of the kit of bathroom goods that are comfortably, unexceptionally available without a second thought. Kleenex, Band-Aids, toilet paper, hand soap, tampons. It's basic operating requirements for the human body. I bought tampons. The feminine hygiene aisle was as daunting as I feared. I was dazzled and disoriented by the colors and brands and fonts. But ultimately, I selected the brand I was most familiar and therefore trusted in the similarly undramatic fashion with which I select a brand of spaghetti. I presented my purchase to the woman at the register like a prized Christmas ham and attempted to bond with her. We should have to to pay sales tax on these medical necessities. She cracked her gum and looked away. The Sarah Ginsburg emergency tampon annex is now open under the sink in my clinic. My female patients are pleased, and I think Sarah Ginsburg herself is tickled by it. She's a living legend in my office now and taught me a good lesson. If you're a man who presides over a public bathroom, put tampons in it or think about why you're not, and then explain it to a woman. Name changed to protect the menstruating. Oh, I guess it's Sarah's not real name. Uh, Russell Brown is an acupuncturist and owner of Punk Acupuncture in Los Angeles. I love it. Okay, guys, if you own a public bathroom, buy your tampons. Until next week, have fun.